Welcome to the Men at Work podcast. I'm your host, Travis Streb. This is season three, episode nine, and this is the final episode of the Men at Work podcast. Today, I have Taylor Patterson on the show. This was uh, this was a great, a really great cast, and a uh, a nice one to end on. I started out the podcast not knowing what we were going to talk about per se. Taylor is um, a plant-based personal trainer and has delivered some incredible results for his clients, and yet we spoke primarily about his own journey. Uh, we talked about his own challenges with addiction, with eating disorders, primarily. Um, you know, this idea that a uh, a health and fitness coach could have a binge eating problem. We talked about the link between self-love, eating disorders, and imposter syndrome. We talked about self-image issues that men have, uh, the link between emotional trauma and eating disorders, mindfulness, meditation, social anxiety. I mean, really, this is just a, a beautiful story of Taylor's that it was a, a pleasure to have hosted and as a bonus, uh, in the last 20 minutes of the episode, Taylor gives us a masterclass on goal setting. So buckle up. This is a slightly longer episode than usual, and I know that you're going to love this episode with Taylor Patterson. So I'd love to know, I'd love to know what your what your love, maybe it's a hate, but your love, love story, mostly with personal training. And you've got a, you've got a particular bent on, on plant-based training as well. So I'm really just keen to hear, man, like what's your love story with that? Well, if you had asked me, I guess 15 years ago, if I'd ever been a, if I would have ever been a personal trainer, I probably would have uh, laughed because I know, you know, I thought it would be probably the, the most boring profession one can get into. Um, I got into it because it changed. It was actually my mom hired a personal trainer when my brothers and I left, um, you know, left school. We went out on our own, and her whole life, having kids, she had invested herself into us, right? So she put our health on the on the back back burner. Um, previous to that, she had been very active. She, you know, she grew up on Vancouver Island and, and did all the all the things you'd expect people to do, enjoy the environment and whatnot. Um, so when we left, she hired a personal trainer and I saw what a crazy change happened in her life. She went from someone who, you know, was physically incapable in a lot of respects. And then all of a sudden she, she and my dad were able to travel around the world. They hiked Machu Picchu, they went to Africa, they went to uh, Southeast Asia. And when I had thought about personal training up to that point, I thought about it from a very selfish perspective, like, oh, that sounds like a very boring career. But then I saw what an unbelievable um, effect you could have on someone's life should you choose to be involved in their personal development. And personal training was the only outlet that I could see at the time, put myself into it. And that's, you know, that's how the whole thing incited. That's really cool, man. Um, I'll, well, I'll just share with you. It's, it's, you know, my, my wife does what your mom's personal trainer did. She tends to work with, um, well, she works with only women. Um, mm -hmm. and most of them are either, kind of in the throes of parenting or have kind of like your mom, like I just gave away a big piece of my life to these children. And now I'd like to give something back. Um, 
So I, I can totally relate to that. Um, my mom has never hired a personal trainer, nor will she ever, I don't think. Um, but she has lots of good, yeah. lots of good support. So, That's awesome. so you kind of, you, you land on this thing, you land on personal training as being your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and where did it take you? Well, that was my first foray into, um, you know, essentially being an entrepreneur, you know, fending for yourself, uh, financially and all that sort of thing up to that point, I had had jobs for working for other people. And, um, that's a whole nother avenue. Cause there's, uh, a, you know, um, you know, imposter syndrome comes up, uh, when you, you know, you go out on your own and you're trying to forge for yourself, but, but how, how that initially developed for me was, you know, I like to say that I was just someone who was paid to count reps and, and lift weight, uh, you know, put weights away for people. Um, I wasn't really doing much for people's personal development at that point. I was, I was telling them how many reps they should do, telling them which exercises they should do and giving them a little bit of motivation. But, you know, I was lucky if I saw them two or three hours a week. And um, I mentioned imposter syndrome just a moment ago. That, that started to come to the forefront as the years went on as a personal trainer. And unfortunately, what happened for me, well, I, I should say, fortunately, because it changed my perspective on life, is I internalized this as a, as a really um, a poor self-worth. And how that manifested was through um, binge eating. I, I actually, you know, ironically, I, I started to battle my own food addiction and people were coming to me for, you know, for help with their nutrition and fitness. And um, like I say, the, the, where that stemmed from was I felt like it started, it started from a place of, I felt like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing people a service. I wasn't living up to an expectation that I felt people had of me. And that kind of, as it does cascaded into other areas of my life. I thought that I was a, you know, um, a sham or a failure in so many other areas of my life. And so for about five years, um, and this was as a personal trainer, so you can imagine being someone who's, you know, coaching people through their fitness journey. Meanwhile, in the background, you're, you know, struggling with your own demons and, and having a hard time, you know, not eating 10,000 calories a day. And I struggled with that for about um, five years and, and it, you know, progressively got worse every single year. And, and I remember... I remember, you know, there's multiple moments and anybody who's ever um, struggled with this has a story like this of their own where you can, you can remember moments where everything just shuts down and it's almost like you're a fly on the wall or you're watching, uh, a, a, you know, a theater, you know, in a theater, you're watching a movie and your body just goes through the motions that, you know, some, for some people, they go get fast food. Uh, for me, I would go to the grocery store and, um, you know, load up for load up with enough food for a family for a few days. And uh, yeah, and, and that's, so we can go into that, how that, um, you know, how that uh, started, how it progressed and how I went over it. But yeah, I mean, but, actually, I mean, maybe we'll just pause there for a sec, man. That's, mm. um, I can imagine that's like super painful. Like you're, you're supposed to be the guy who's got his shit together, at least when it comes to taking care of your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got, you've got like an eating disorder you're trying to deal with while coaching someone to have healthy body image and, and take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, every person who works in this, in the field of coaching or whatever, you know, we all have, we all, we all know, and we are like, yeah, well, I'm, you know, we're just as messed up as anyone we work with. And that's totally cool. We can still support them and still coach them. Um, <clears throat> but what was that? Like, I'd love to know a bit more about that because 
again, like referencing um, my wife and her work, you know, she, this is typically, you know, binge eating is typically something, at least as far as media is concerned, is a thing that, that women will do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's kind of surprising as I've heard more and more men talk about this, but it's, it seems like it does not care what gender you are or how you identify. It's all about this kind of pattern. Um, can you say a little bit more about, like, just say a bit more about, about the kind of the binge eating part. Like you said, you're going to the store, you're buying a bunch of crap and eating, and then you're just trying to work, work out to burn it off. Like what's the pattern? Yeah. Well, you mentioned it affects men just as equally, which is very interesting because of the three, uh, eating disorders of the three main eating disorders, binge eating, it, it affects men almost 50%, but I would almost Wow. I would fathom to guess that it actually impacts men more. And the reason I say that is because, um, and this is just intuitively, I'm not, I'm not going on off of any, uh, you know, any papers to back this up, but if 47% of men diagnosed with binge, uh, binge eating disorders are seeking help, right? So they've, they've sought out help for it. And if you think about how men operate, you know, yeah, yeah, men, yeah. that's the last thing that they'll do. So, so 47% of, men, uh, of people who suffer from uh, binge eating are men. I would fathom to guess that probably there's a likelihood that it at least affects men 50%, but I would almost say that it's likely that it affects men more than women, um, this particular binge or this particular eating disorder. But so how it, how it came up for me when I say it wasn't, it wasn't something that happened overnight. It steadily progressed year over year. And um, it came from a place of, of uh, a feeling like an imposter uh, in my profession. Not only in my profession, but how I was showing up as a man. This is something that you talk about a lot on your podcast. I talk a lot about with my, my friends and brothers in, in um, you know, men's group and whatnot. Is, uh, you know, when, when, we're, when we go out into the world as 17, 18, 19-year-old guys where we kind of have this feeling that we have to prove ourselves. You know, we have to show up in, in the world as a generative man, whether that's, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, or in my case, I decided to go out and build a business for myself. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if, if it's worth going down the whole, you know, the, 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 the initiate, the initiation let's go there. process. Let's, but, we, let's go there because we can, you know, we can go anywhere, anywhere that feels good. Well, well, 20, you know, hindsight's 2020, right? And I look back how everything unfolded in my life. And um, my father was a great father, fantastic guy. Uh, I love him in bits. I still, you know, we still communicate, you know, a few times a week. Um, but he was never, you know, he was never a strong father figure. And what I mean by that is like, you know, he went to work, he provided for us, but he wasn't the strong leader. I essentially steamrolled him when I was, uh, you know, in my teens, you know, and uh, as, as a lot of guys do, if they, if they have a father in their life and the father doesn't um, lay down the rules, you know, when you're an adolescent, you're pushing the boundaries. You're trying to figure out where, you know, where, where can I, how far can I push this guy until he, you know, he bites back and tells me that, uh, you know, puts me in my place, essentially. My dad never did that. And uh, so the, the man that um, filled that role in my life was my grandfather. He was like this, you know, this like pinnacle of what it meant to be, a, you know, what I thought was a man. And uh, he, I, I put him on a pedestal, you know, and, and uh, all the decisions I made, I'd say from the time I was about 16, 17 until, you know, even into my 30s, um, I was doing it not for me, but I was doing it to 
to prove myself to, you know, this, this God that I put up on a pedestal that was my grandfather. And so when I went out into build a business for myself, I wanted to prove myself. Right. But I felt very inadequate as a lot of guys do. I think a lot, whether it's when yeah. they build a business or, or in the corporate setting that they have. And, uh, so I would, and this is, this is, I've learned a lot from this and this is all in the goal setting process that I do with clients now is I would, I would essentially set a goal for myself or set a, a, an agenda for myself to create a business, you know, um, by three months or four months, a business target. And I would fail just, you know, <laughs> just completely crash and burn as, as a lot of, as a lot of people do when they set goals that are far too lofty for them to start out on. And, uh, I continually repeated this pattern of failure. And as I repeated this pattern of failure, my internal dialogue turned from one of, I can do this to one of, I'm a complete failure. I'm a piece of shit. You know, like this is just something that I'm uh, completely inadequate to, uh, to overcome. And, uh, and I'm also, you know, in the meantime, I'm also feeling like if I can't build a business the way that I feel like I should be able to in this you know, fitness space, then I'm probably a sham. Why are people, you know, just because I can work out doesn't mean that I can help people work out, you know, or help people achieve their own fitness goals. So that was what, that was the inception to this, this whole, uh, eating disorder. What I started to do was self-medicate with those, you know, the, the feelings of, of, uh, of anxiety or feelings of depression, you want to escape that in any way that you can <clears throat> being in the fitness industry, you know, and, and not having really had any, uh, substance issues before this, um, an easy outlet without even realizing it could be food. You know, you get the dopamine uh, rush of you know, having a big sugary meal or something like that. And uh, it starts small, but it progresses from there. And, uh, you know, year over year, it would get worse. And it got to the point where I, I you, you know, everybody says, uh, everybody who's ever struggled with substance issues or, or like addictions of some type, that there's always a moment when they're like, oh man, this is like, this is bad. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like realizing how much of a problem I have with this. And, and the pro the, the moment for me, like it was, it was a problem well before this moment, but this is the moment where I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is bad. Was, um, I was realizing that I would, you know, through the week I'd have, you know, three, four different bouts at this point, And I would go to different grocery stores. And the reason why I go to different grocery stores, because that's, you know, that's where my outlet was. I'd go and go to the grocery store manic and I'd, buy 10,000 calories worth of food, I'd go to different grocery stores because I realized, you know, if I, if I continuously go to the same grocery store and just buy all this food and, and the, the cashiers see me buying all this food every single day, they're going to start to, you know, I'm going to start to feel judged by these people. So if I pick different grocery stores and actually the real moment, this is the, the clear moment where it's like, oh man, this is a problem is when I was starting to tell grocery store clerks that I was like, oh yeah, I'm having some people over tonight or oh, I'm going to a party or something like that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you know, like yeah. they didn't even ask, they don't care what I'm buying, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, but to me, I'm like, I need to make, I need to make it seem like this is a normal occurrence for these people. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it got to that point. And um, it, I had really come to, to terms with it. I, I essentially decided this is my life now. I'm never going to escape this. And uh, yeah, that's, that was about a five year journey to get to that point you know man there's so many similarities in in um you know what you've talked about and and you know but i was telling you about george bryant who's also been on he was on episode four and this of, the, of season three mm -hmm. similarities there and, and 
know, I had a hard time relating because I never like binge eating wasn't my thing. I, I went the same kind of pain, but the other way mm -hmm. I was in, I was into um, competitive road biking, which was kind of my thing. And I got in, I went down the other end of the scale where I was like, fuck, like I just got to get as rail thin as possible, which at first was like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to lose weight and I was a climber. So I needed to be pretty light, but then I started getting really obsessive about it. And without, you know, I've, I've talked about this before on the cast, but the moment that maybe similar to your grocery store moment was like, I hit, I hit 137 pounds on the mm -hmm. scale and I'm six feet tall. So, and I took a picture of the scale because I was fired up. I still have it. I kept it. Fired up in what way? You like I was happy. I was happy like, fuck yeah. Like I hit, I hit it. Yeah. And um, yeah, like it, the feeling is you're just like, fuck, like this is it. This has got to be, this has got to be the bottom. Mm -hmm. I had a race the next day. And then from there it was like, okay, I need to like, actually need to address this. Same thing with alcohol for me, man. I had a, you know, I never had like an, never, it was never overt. Like, as you talked about, I think for, for a lot of men, this has been the story. It's like this covert undercover, like I wasn't hiding my drinking, but it was like, I kept making it okay to be like, oh, well, I guess I finished all my beer. I better go to the, back to the, you know, store tomorrow, get some more. Cause it's the weekend. And yeah. similar though, like the moment I'm at my sister's house, like probably four years ago, afternoon birthday party for my niece who's like turning three or something a bunch of parents so there's drinking and I remember I was sitting I was walking out from behind behind her house taking out the recycling and there was like a little bit of champagne warm she's in California warm champagne sitting at the bottom of this bottle and I drank it and I looked over and saw myself in the reflection of her window and I was like fuck like ugh. and um yeah that's when I decided I was like yeah I'm not drinking anymore Luckily, you know, luckily I was able to do that, but man, it's, it's in my family and it's, you know, part of my lineage. So it's hard, but I appreciate you sharing that. So, so, but let's, let's, let's take it back to your, so you're in, so you're in this thing and you're in this, this like really nasty cycle and you've got, you know, like every man on the planet, some father, grandfather issues like I do. And so how do you, how do you kind of come out of that? Well, you know, you mentioned the, your, your bout with alcohol and I'd say we all pick our poison, right? Like this, <laughs> no one's got it figured out as we talked about at the start of this. And we will all find our own avenues to self-medicate for me it was food. Um, the, when you say pick yourself back out of this, there's a quote actually by a, a woman uh, named, uh, I'm going to get her wrong her, her last name wrong. It's Ilona Kejikiene, I think. And she's a, she's, yeah, she's a psychologist. She's, she focuses primarily on um, eating disorders. And what she said about eating disorders, I think can be applicable to most substance abuse issues, but it hit me like a sack of bricks when I first heard it. So, well, before, before I share that quote, maybe I'll talk about what I thought it was before I heard that quote. So I thought I just, I thought I just had a you know, when I was going through this five years, I didn't think about what was underneath the eating issue. I just thought, man, I love food. You know, like I just can't get away from food. Why can't other people eat, you know, two handfuls of chips and I have to go buy the family bag of, of uh, old Dutch chips from Costco, you know, like I thought that it was just a food thing. And so I kept trying to solve the food thing 
with, you know, counting calories, um, trying different, like I, I've been plant-based, like vegan for over 10 years, which, which is quite funny. I still laugh at this. Even during those moments when I go manic into a, a grocery store, I, you know, I was firing stuff into my grocery cart or whatever I had. But I'd still look like, oh, does it have cholesterol? Is it vegan? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like it's ridiculous. Like, you know, here I am trying to kill myself with food. I'm like, but is it vegan? So, uh, but the, so I was trying to solve this food issue by counting calories or trying different diets, right? Like, oh, maybe if I tried keto, it would solve my food cravings. Or maybe if I uh, tried intermittent fasting, it would solve my food cravings. And it never did. I was trying to solve an emotional issue with, and a self-worth issue with, mechanical methods. This quote by Alona is that the opposite of an eating disorder isn't eating like a normal person, which is what I thought it was. I thought, why can't I just eat like a normal person? She said that the opposite of an eating disorder is self-love. And the first, when I heard that quote for the first time, it was just like someone roundhouse kicked me in the solar plexus. Like, oh my God, like it, it all made sense. I, I knew it inherently already, but I hadn't heard anyone say it to me the way that she said it. And uh, that was like the basement, you know, I was the, the bottom, the bottom floor, I kind of finally realized that, you know, this is, a, this is something that um, isn't just, isn't just a, an addiction of, of food, it's an addiction of hurting myself, right? And I'm, I'm I, I, the way I looked at it, the way, you know, hindsight's 2020, the way I look at it now is, one, I was trying to numb thoughts and, and feelings and emotions about myself. That was during the process of it. When I was eating, I was numb to the world. But after what I was really doing was I was making myself feel physically the way I felt about myself emotionally, which was like shit. Mm. You know, I, I you know, to, if, to be quite frank with you, I was reinforcing a story that I had of myself that I was worthless. And I, I was able to prove that to myself by sitting there with a bloated stomach and thinking about how, um, how much of a piece of junk I was because I couldn't control my eating, you know? So that was the basement. The way I got out of that is, um, well, I, what incited it was, uh, my older brother. And so he's, uh, you know, he's, he's quite a bit older than I am. He's, he's about almost 10 years older than I am. And he, he, uh, he had like the perfect, the picture perfect family, right? Like, so here I am, my business is crumbled that what I, what I had of a business, I totally let a road. It was destroyed. And I had like two clients left and I was, you know, I was uh, like, had, I was almost homeless, you know, to the point where like, if I had, I not had a, a family to bail me out, I would have been homeless for sure. And that's really like looking back, you know, that was, that was what I was trying to do to myself. I was trying to uh, basically remove myself from everything as much as is possible. And, and probably had it not been for my family, I would have been, you know, in that mental state quite at home, being homeless, you know, being a nothing on uh, just someone who didn't have to talk to anybody, just someone who could stay in his own, uh, you know, his own mind uh, 24 hours a day. What changed it for me was my older brother. He's uh, he got his life together. He's got, you know, two beautiful kids who like, there's no kids on the planet who behave as well as his kids. And it's just, <laughs> it doesn't even make sense and it just pisses you off. And uh, he's got a beautiful wife. She's like a 10 out of 10 beautiful wife. She's like everything that you'd ever want in a partner. And uh, he's got a really nice job. And, and, uh, and he's just like such a good person too. Like just the, they're like that, that family that doesn't, or they just shouldn't exist. Right. The Instagram family. 
you know, the Instagram <laughs> family and, um, you know, they have their problems of course, but, uh, but like pretty well, they, you know, they're like the perfect family. And so he invited me over for dinner, um, one night and I was like, you know, like, you know, I love you and, uh, you know, I love your guys' family and stuff, but I'm just, you know, I'm in a bad place right now. I don't really want to, but I went anyway. So I went for dinner and had a great time, but I didn't want to talk about myself. I didn't want to talk about business. I didn't want to talk about anything because, you know, here they are, they're living the life that I would love to have for myself. And I'm, you know, quite, quite literally just on, uh, on the doorstep of uh, destitute poverty. And, um, he dropped, so that was dinner. He dropped me off in front of my place and I asked him to drop me off like a couple streets up because I was living in a, um, it was like, uh, I don't know what the, it was a house that I wasn't super proud of living in at the time. Yeah. Now I look at it, I'm like, I don't, I don't care. But for me, like, you know, I was, it was a, it was a communal house. Right. And it was for people who were kind of transitioning in either going towards being on the street or coming back from living on the street. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so he dropped me off in front of, uh, in front of my place. And, and, uh, he said, you know, Taylor, I can tell you're dealing with some stuff. And, uh, so we kind of had a heart to heart and he said, um, you know, I haven't had my life together this whole time either. And uh, I had a, he shared with me his moment, which was, you know, he went away. He, um, he was living in Uclula at the time and he went away. He did, uh, touched up on his school and he came back and basically the bottom of his life, he went and did all these things that he thought he was supposed to do so that he could feel more aligned and like he knew what he was going to do. And, and, yeah. whatnot. and he came back to Uclula and he kind of just went, nothing's fixed and it's only worse. And he, he literally, he looked up at the, the sky and he said, I don't know what your plan is for me, but I'm open to anything. And, uh, and a book landed on his, um, on his lap, which was about mindfulness and Buddhism and meditation. Mm. And so he took up meditation and mindfulness and that's what he suggested. You know, he said, Hey, if you're interested, this really helped me. I would suggest you try some mindfulness and meditation. And I trust him. And I, so, so I decided, you know, I'll give this a shot. And I tried meditation before, but you know, it was like, you know, two seconds of, uh, try to think about nothing. No, I'm thinking about something else. So I'll just give up. But I was like, you know, I'm going to give this a real shot. It worked for my brother. I really trust my brother. He's got the life that I wish I had. I'm going to give it a shot. So I gave myself 21 days and within, I'd say seven days, I started to feel better. And with, it's an, you know, that's a long story and I'm already, I've already talked at length about it, but to make it as short as possible, what it did for me was it started to separate the thoughts and feelings that I was having in the moment previous and during and after those episodes of binge eating. And it separated me from those thoughts so I could see them objectively and not identify with them. And it didn't solve everything overnight, but it helped me realize that these were the, the feelings that came up, the thoughts that came up, the story that I told myself about who I am, what, I, what I'm capable of and what I'll never achieve doesn't have to be what I identify with. I can listen to them and then make my own decision after. So, I, man, I think, I mean, I'm so glad that the story went here. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'd read your bio and, and um, you, you and I talked briefly before this cast, but... I didn't know that's where we were going. Um, and the fact that you, you know, you kind of came, came into meditation, mindfulness as a practice, as a way to help yourself. It's really beautiful, man. One of, um, 
one of my teachers, um, I think you might know him, a guy called John Wineland. He, mm-hmm. he's amazing. Yeah, he's, um, I've been working with him for a few years and I'll never forget we had, um, it was a few years ago, we were at an event and there was another man and it was a men's program. Another man was there and this man stood up to the microphone and just started talking and he was, he was like just in his head about his life and his relationship. And, he, and I've never, he said, he's, John said, he said, Hey man, he said, he stop. He's like, you know what your biggest problem is right now? He's like, you think your thoughts are real. Mm-hmm. And it was a moment I'm like, Oh yeah. Like as soon as you start thinking that your thoughts are real, you're kind of fucked. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you were able to create that kind of separation from, you know, thought, habitual thought versus what's true and real in a moment, um, through that practice. Uh, so, okay. Well, I mean, you said you, you, you talked a lot about it, but let's, I want to, I want to keep pulling on this thread. So you're in, you're in kind of, I don't know if you call it a halfway house, a transition, you're in transitional housing, mm-hmm. you're meditating. I don't know, you're doing, you're doing some kind of Buddhist meditation practice, mindfulness practice. Um, then what happens? Like, I'm dying to know, man. Cause <laughs> well, you know, that meditation changed my life in more ways than one. It, it definitely separated my thoughts from my identity, which was the most powerful thing. I think that had ever happened up to that point, and probably still one of the most powerful things. It gave me space. I think that's the, the thing. And this is what I talk with, um, friends and clients about is, is if you can, just create even just a moment of space between when an emotion comes up or a thought comes up and the action that you take with that emotion or the action that you take with that thought, whether it's with yourself, you know, through self-medicating with binge eating or drinking or whatever it is, or whether it's responding to a friend in anger or responding to a partner in anger. If you just take just that second to um, dissociate with feelings or the thoughts to see them from an objective viewpoint, that can make all the difference. That was the most powerful thing I think that that came away from me, uh, came away from that experience from me. <laughs> but there's this, all this other stuff that started to happen too. So <clears throat> there's different ways I look at this. Um, one of my favorite quotes is by Eleanor Roosevelt. She was asked if she believed in reincarnation. And she said, I don't think it'd be any stranger to wind up in another life as it was to wind up in this one. And the reason, <laughs> the reason why I like it so much is because often, especially, you know, uh, like I, I used to be hyper analytical, you know, I used to look at the world as like ones and zeros and try to figure out the, you know, the most logical path forward. And I realize now that uh, life is absurd and, and to think that you have everything figured out, you know, that's the quickest way to realize that you don't. So the reason why I bring that up is because other things that started to happen in my life, there, there could be, there's two ways that I look at it. One is I started to become more open to the world around me. I started to be less selfish and just look at myself as like, oh, woe is me. And start to look at what, you know, opportunities of saying yes to things, of um, bringing myself into new experiences that I would have otherwise uh, felt too ashamed or like I wasn't worthy of, of experiencing them. I, I allowed myself to open myself to those. Um, it, you know, the other side of those things is, you know, the, the, your vibe attracts your tribe sort of thing, like the woo-woo kind of thing. And, and so... I started to have experiences in my life, you know, um, people started to reach out to me or I connected with people that hadn't happened in the five years previous to this. Mm. This is, this is literally within 
less than 21 days. I give myself 21 days to start meditating. And I'll tell you, you know, I was, this is, um, you know, this is a whole nother <laughs> ball of wax, but I, I said I would start meditating on, let's, let's say it was a Sunday by like Thursday of that same week. I had been reconnected with an old boss who asked if I would help him um, expand his uh, company into the, the United States. Completely changed my financial situation, completely changed my living situation and, uh, and my experience of life altogether. I, I started to, I basically went down to the States and met all these beautiful people that were, you know, beautiful inside and out. And, and you know, it was Los Angeles. I, I thought I'd never survive there for more than a day. Turns out it's one of the most creative, uh, yeah. um, beautiful places I've ever been. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's some amazing people that live there. But that all happened. I, I bring the reason for that um, unfoldment back to meditation because I was, you know, I was very self-centered. I was very focused on what was me. I changed that and started to look at the world around me uh, in a more receptive, from a more receptive place. And because of that, like I say, within, within a week and a half, I was on a plane to Los Angeles, had a different job totally different financial uh, state and, and enjoying like every second of life within less than two weeks. You know, that, that, that yeah. was, uh, now that's obviously that's, um, that's not going to be the case for everybody who <laughs> takes up Guar you know, yeah, guaranteed results. <laughs> Taylor Patterson just promised yeah. us if you, <laughs> you, if you start meditating uh, 21 days, you'll be, uh, you'll be off to LA living under the land of sun with tons of money. Um, yeah. No, but I take your point, man. I mean, mm -hmm it's regardless of whether it improves your financial situation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, improving your state mm -hmm. is, I mean, your state of being is all, it's all you have, right? I mean, mm -hmm. and I mean, it's, I, I teach this to, to people I work with in the corporate world all the time. Like what you're transmitting out into the world is the direct function of what you're mm -hmm. vibrating on the inside. So if you're living in your thoughts, your habitual thoughts, and that's exactly what's going to come out of you. If you're, you know, if you're living in some state of embodied presence and you bring that to the people around you, well, stuff's going to open up. Mm -hmm. It's a bit ethereal. Um, I've, you know, I've gotten rid of using the word woo woo cause it's bullshit, <laughs> but yeah. it's ethereal. Like it's hard to understand. Mm -hmm. But the part of your story that I love is like, you kind of broke the, you broke our, our traditional masculine mm -hmm. pattern of like, mm -hmm. someone tells you about meditation and mindfulness. And most men are like, awesome. I'm going to go get every book and podcast on the planet. I'm going to learn about it. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, I'm going to do it. Cause like doing, doing the thing is going to actually create the state and the traits you want, as opposed to like, I understand meditation and mindfulness. I could talk about it for 10 hours. I've never done it before, or, you know, I do it five minutes a day or whatever the thing is. So that's really a really nice piece. Um, yeah. I, I, I just, I, I feel like it's necessary to add to that. that please, I, please do. I, man. Didn't, yeah. well, I didn't just jump into meditation because I was that guy who read every book, you know, me too, six me years too. prior to that, you know, I was like, Oh, I'll read up on meditation and figure out how to do this. And that's when <laughs> I tried initially and completely failed. But to your point, um, you know, I was in a place where reading books, wasn't the answer. I knew that inherently just, or maybe I didn't even know it inherently. I just decided to do what my brother told me to do and it worked. And uh, like you say, breaking that pattern of, 
oh, this is a problem. And I know there's a solution. I can probably just jump into this solution that other people have tried, but I'm going to, you know, digest as much information, try yeah. to tackle it from, you know, my, <laughs> let me my understand, let me understand it first before yeah. I try it instead of like, let yeah. me just give it a try and see what happens to my body. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, so, so you go to, you go to LA, man, how, like, how do you end up? Cause now, I mean, you're, you know, you're living in Victoria, you're, you know, working as a trainer, you're transforming people's lives all over the place. Take, take us from kind of from this, from LA, you're recovering from this, um, from this eating disorder. And how, how do we get to, to where you are today and serving the people you're serving? Well, um, so my, it didn't end there with the going down to LA that changed my circumstances. And I was a much happier person. But I still had the the feelings of self-worth that were at the root of Mm. my eating disorder. So um, it actually was a big, so I started dating a girl when I was down in Los Angeles and, and um, that compounded was the first girl that I'd ever dated where I felt like there was a connection approaching love, if that makes sense. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so when you, the way I, I look at relationships now, healthy relationships, um, and I don't have that figured out at all, but you know, my, my view today is that people come together who are you know, inherently flawed because they're human beings, but they're also okay with themselves uh, as much as is possible. And they come together and they create something greater than the two of them, right? That exists outside of them. But neither of them is dependent on each other right? For validation or for, you know, to, to fix all the pieces that they need fixing. Right. Um, and that was a big problem that I had in this relationship when I was down there. I, um, and, and because I felt inadequate because I felt like I could measure up in so many different ways. Um, I, again, started to forget, um, this powerful tool of, you know, mindfulness around the situation. (laughs) <laughs> and, and so I started again, started to getting into, um, started that it started to get worse again. Yeah. And, um, so that was, that. uh, I remember actually, uh, you know, that relationship we, we talked afterwards and, and one of the big, she, she told me one of the, one of the nights when she realized that, you know, we weren't a good match was, uh, was a night that I, we had planned something. I told her I couldn't come over and, and the, told her whatever reason I told her, I can't remember what it is, but the real reason was because I, you know, basically eaten myself into a coma that night and didn't really feel much like, uh, you know, going over when I got a, you know, giant soft belly of food. So, you know, so, um, so, but the, so I hadn't figured it out. Uh, I did get back into mindfulness and this is what, um, this is where mindfulness really came into helping me solve this. So there's actually two tools that I started to use to, um, I wouldn't say solve, solve is probably the wrong word because I have had issues since, but to navigate it as best as I possibly can. The two tools are mindfulness meditation, right? And the second one is journaling. Hmm. Mindfulness and meditation, because, you know, for the reason I mentioned before, you can start to separate yourself from the thoughts and feelings that you have previous and during and after one of these episodes. Um, and journaling, the reason why journaling was so powerful is because it gives you something to look back at. It's great to be mindful in the moment and nav, you know, try to figure out the moment, 
but if you can start to look back and start to notice trends, and this is like the, you know, the, the masculine, like, oh, okay, come de de deconstruct this and figure out how it works. But it, you know, it did work for me, which is, um, which is I started to see where this was coming from. So the questions I started to ask and the, and the things that I started to see come up in my journal entries were, what was I feeling right before? How did I feel during? How did I feel after? What were some of the events that were preceding this? Um, what was my mental state before, you know, and doing my best to write these from an objective viewpoint a couple hours after an, you know, an eating disorder episode um, where I, you know, I wasn't completely great in the moment. I was feeling pretty bad, but I was enough. I was cognizant enough to write down, you know, a map of the event. And what I started to notice was these episodes started to come up when I either had, um, you know, I was getting involved romantically to a level that I didn't feel comfortable with, you know, hence the, the, the girlfriend in LA. Um, or I was invited to uh, an event with a bunch of people because I, I have, I, I suppose I still do, social anxiety. I don't like being, I love one-on-one -on -one connection. Like, this is great for me. I, it's, you know, it feels great. It feels natural. Being in a room with like 10, 20 people, you know, back in the days when we could have house parties. That's you know, right. Back in, the yeah. <laughs> back in the days when you could actually organize. Back in 1998, yeah. Yeah. Um, then, then I would start to get anxious around, uh, around being around so many people right and uh and it you know it stemmed from a place of self-worth it stemmed from a place of, of like feeling like i was uh, going to be measured against so many people and i would never live up in so many different ways but i started to notice what it was and because i knew started to notice what those things were i could start to build a plan from the next time it came up and that was really the those two things were the one two punch for me um as far as actual tools the mindfulness helped me uh go through the moment the journaling helped me understand why the moments were coming up and prepare for the next one and again it didn't happen overnight but what started to happen was i like i, I remember um you know i can remember moments when i that fly on the wall feeling you know you're watching a, a you know a movie theater uh you're in a movie theater you're watching a movie but i started to be able to um feel when those feelings were coming up Understand that it's, you know, I'm going to, okay, well, let's see how I do, see if I can make a different choice. But if I don't make a different choice, let me try to observe how I'm feeling, why I'm feeling that way. And, you know, over weeks and months and really years, that started to turn, I started to be able to flip this script and start to love myself that, you know, in, in, um, in the Samurai Brotherhood, we have this idea of uh, radical self-acceptance. And I don't think anybody ever truly gets there, but, uh, but I started to get closer to that and be able to, um, even in the, in the, in the worst moments when I'm, you know, eating, you know, 10,000 plus calories in a single meal, and I feel like a, a bag of crap on the, on the couch, I could start to see it really what happened was, okay, well, I didn't want to go to that party or I didn't want to go to the beach with friends or I didn't want to get any more involved with that, that girl. Why is that? I have self worth issues. So these are protective mechanisms. You know, they're unfounded. They're not logical, but emotionally they make sense. They're trying to protect me from a threat that I can see now is not, it's not real. It, it serves no purpose any longer in my life. And I'm going to do what I can to start, unlearning that and changing that's that was basically the process 
Um, and again, going back to that idea of, of the opposite of eating disorder, self-love, that was what I was trying to move myself closer and closer to by uh, using those two tools. So I um, have to imagine that's found its way into your work today. Yeah. Like, you know, you're working, you're training people on the physical body, but I mean, it sounds like you do a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, so I, people usually come to me for a meal plan or an exercise program and I give them both knowing full well that we're probably not going to start there. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, especially yeah. with a meal plan, like, that's just not usually where people start. You know, the, the saying that I, what I always say is nobody wants to be the best person at counting calories. Nobody wants to be the best person at counting their macros. What you want is, you know, you want to be able to enjoy your meals, whether it's by yourself or, um, you know, out with friends and family because meal time is the most social time. Right. So, um, my, the analogy I give is, you know, imagine your friend was going, uh, through the same issues that you're going through. Right. And they're beating themselves up the same way that you do. You know, there's, there's that saying that if we spoke to other people the way that we speak to ourselves, we wouldn't have any friends, right? <laughs> Very true. So, imagine you're there and you're, and you're consoling that person, but you know exactly what they're saying to themselves. You know exactly the struggles that they're going through. And what would you do? You would mostly just be there with your presence, right? You would uh, comfort them. You'd console them. You'd offer them words of affirmation, maybe. Uh, if they asked for your help, you would maybe give them some ad advice if you if you could, but mostly you would just be there for them and you would be as understanding as you possibly can. And my goal with myself, but also with my clients is to take that same innate ability, ability that we have for other people and just begin to reflect it inwards, right? And start mm -hmm. to, in the most, and this is, um, you know, I help my clients through this whole goal setting process that works on paper, but, uh, you know, Mike Tyson has that great saying that, um, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's kind of the same way of like, we set a goal for ourselves and we have it all laid out and we go, okay, this is perfect. But then we get punched in the face and that might be, you know, maybe you go out to a party and you have too much food and then you feel like relapsing or, or, um, you know, you, you have a big fight with your, with your spouse or something like that. And that causes you to cascade. So you lay out the plan, you have the goal in mind, but the secret, the thing that will get you to the end point, the goal that you're looking to achieve isn't the plan. It's um, being able to offer yourself compassion and understanding and empathy in the moments when you need it the most, because otherwise you'll beat yourself up the most so that you can begin to lift yourself up to that point where you can then reclaim your ground. It's not to move, you know, it's not to press on in those moments. It's just to take a moment, you know, that space between the emotions, the thoughts and the action you take with it. It's just creating that space and offering yourself compassion inside that moment. Uh, that's, um, it's beautiful, man. I, I really like that as a, like the secret to goal setting is not the goal setting. It's that kind of internal relationship. All right. So we'll, I, I want to jump back into the goal setting piece. So I love, I love what you said, like the secret to goal setting isn't the goal setting, right? It's, it's like, how do you relate to the goal? Um, mm -hmm. And that's very different. I mean, it's, uh, there, you know, cause you know, you sent me that you're like, here's, here's some topics. And I was like, I don't know, man, goal setting is like, it's valuable, but I'm not sure if I really buy it that much, but what what you bring to it is um 
I mean, certainly I'm aligned with you in that, man. Like goals are great. Like we should be planning. You should definitely have some plans and you should like, you want to have ambition mm-hmm. and it's how you go about doing it. That's going to be the mm-hmm. only thing that fucking matters. Um, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. so, so you're, so you're bringing this in with your clients. Um, how, like, I am curious though, because, you know, you talked about like, oh, we do meal plans and, and you like, you do, you do take them somewhere. Oh yeah. Um, what, what do you see showing up? And I, I mean, I, because we're on the men at work podcast, I'm, you know, thinking specifically around men, but like what, what kind of stuff comes up for guys when they start to embark on these body transformation, you know, initiatives, oh. call them. <laughs> Man. I, well, a lot of my clients, um, have been, you know, either executives or, uh, in a, a, a leadership role, let's say. Yeah. And that's not to say in like massive companies or anything, but just in a small company or maybe they own a business. And, uh, so their life is very busy. And if they have a family, it's even busier. So the way I start with goal setting with, um, specifically men, because, uh, we like to break things down into processes, you know, and, um, and I carry in as much as I can, a little bit more of the uh, emotional side of things with this, with this, with this, this uh, breakdown into processes. The first thing is to know, are you clear on your goal or are you clear on what you don't want to have happen? Because most, most often, this has been my experience, you think you have a goal, but really what you have is you, what you have a very clear idea of what you don't want to happen. <laughs> you have a really clear idea of the catastrophe that you're trying to avoid. And that's much more clear compared to the goal that you have, right? So the, the, the example, actually, there's a, a great example, and that's a, um, you know, this is a very cliche dude, but uh, um, Tony Robbins has an, a perfect example of this. So he has a story of, he was trying to learn how to drive a race car, right? He went to one of those tracks where you can rent a race car and get a co-pilot. He's like, uh, he's teaching how to drive the thing. And he said that um, they, once you did a few laps, they would teach you how to regain control of a car as it loses traction, right? And so what happens, basically you drive around and and the guy be sitting in the passenger seat and have a little um, box with four buttons. And if you press one, one of the tires would lose traction and you just lose control. And you didn't know when it was going to happen. So what happens is he'd press the button and then Tony would look in the direction of the wall that he's now heading towards, right? That's the instinct. It's like, oh shit, here's a you know, wall approaching me at 100 miles per hour. And that would happen a few times and, and the driving instructor would always have to take his hands and turn Tony's head in the direction of where he should be going in order to correct the car. And so the instinct is to look at what you don't want to have happen, the, you know, the catastrophe that you're trying to avoid. Really, what you need to do is look in the direction of where you want to go, right? Which is easier th- said than done because we really don't want to plow into a wall at 100 miles an hour. So that, the reason why I love that analogy is because it actually takes us into the next step, which is most people don't know what the hell they want. Most people don't know what their goal is, but more importantly, why they want to achieve it. And there's a, an exercise that I go through with everybody with, which is the five whys. Mm. Probably heard about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Most people. So the, you know, in, uh, to shorten it up a little bit, a guy might come to a personal trainer and say, Hey, I really want to lose 50 pounds, you know? And, and if you ask why five times, usually you'll get 
from, Hey, I want to lose 50 pounds to, Hey, you know what? My father died when I was um, six years old. And I know that I'm following in his footsteps right now with my health. And I have two young sons and I want to be around for them when they graduate because my father never was. So that's that now it took your goal from, Hey, I want to lose 50 pounds to, I want to be around for my sons when they graduate. So they can be a great grandfather to their children. And uh, that is taking your head away from the, you know, the, the catastrophe that you're trying to avoid to this beautiful version of yourself that you can see for yourself fulfilling should you stick to your, you know, stick to your goals, stick to your habits, that sort of thing. So that's the goal setting process really. Now, the, once the goal is established, guys, myself included, this is like the default mode for guys is, oh, I'm going to do everything at once. Oh, perfect. I'm going to go to the gym seven days a week. I'm going to meal prep six days of the week. I'm going to make sure I get eight hours of sleep. I'm going to take cold showers. I'm going to intermittent fast. I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, do keto and, uh, you know, maybe I'll get one of those, like I'll I'll meditate for 30 minutes every morning and we're going to do it all at once. And that's like the shortcut to doing nothing and like failing, you know, miserably. So this goes back to, you know, my own experience. I've I've pulled this out of my own experience. This is not a new technique. This is a technique that, you know, is used universally um, with coaches. But um, the reason why I I feel it to be as powerful as it is, because I see that this is an approach that I took in my own life. And what it did to me was, and what I've seen it do to other people, is that if we set a goal, let's say you set a goal this week and you fail. Okay, well, you, you just told yourself that you're a failure. And then you set a goal next week, or maybe it's a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of weeks go by and you go, oh, I'm going to try again. And you set a goal and you fail. So now you've reinforced that story. And that continues, that cycle continues, maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe years, maybe an entire decade goes by for this one area of your life. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's fitness, maybe it's family, whatever it is that you've repeatedly tried to make a change and you've repeatedly failed. So this narrative inside your mind is I'm someone who fails. So the approach that I take with my clients, this is the approach that I take with my own goals when I try to achieve something, is it actually comes from a guy named BJ Fogg. He's uh, um, an amazing researcher in, in habit formation. You've probably heard of BJ Fogg, no? He's, but I'll uh, link him up in the show notes for yeah, sure. Amazing guy. He has this, a, a beautiful analogy uh, or a comparison, I should say, um, of how to set a goal properly or how to set a habit properly, I should say. Habits get us on our way to achieving our goals. So let's say you want to floss your teeth. Most people want to floss all of their teeth, right? Every night. And most people floss their teeth once or twice a year. And it's right before they go to the dentist. So (laughs) in order to set a goal and you have it for yourself to say, I'm going to floss my teeth. Instead of saying, I'm going to floss my teeth every single night, you could say, I'm going to floss just one tooth right before I brush my teeth. And the reason why that works is because the, the habit that you're forming is so small. It's almost inconsequential, but it's just enough. It's moving you closer to the larger goal and larger habit. And the second important thing is it's attached to a pre-existing habit, which is brushing your teeth. You already brush your teeth, right? Brush your teeth every night. When you go to brush your teeth, you're reminded it triggers you. Oh yeah, my tiny goal is to floss one tooth. So that compounds over the weeks, over the months, eventually you're flossing on all your, your, all of your teeth. That's the, that's the goal. Anyhow, that can be universally applied to pretty well anything, whether it's a health and fitness goal, you know, like I've worked with clients and, and, um, you know, it's literally two minutes on the Stairmaster in the morning. If that's, if that's the first thing that you can start with, then do it. And that as a guy is one of the most hard, that, that's one of the hardest things to do to, to like take, um, to take it slow with ourselves to say, okay, you know what, yeah. I'm going to have to be real with myself and just start small. 
it's um so true man like it it's almost impossible to do something unless it's like all in mm-hmm. like all like just go 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 i'm <laughs> i'm dealing with this with this right now um uh i'm i'm supporting one of my teachers in a in a men's program and it we have we're having men do practices every day like embodiment practices and um you know some of them they were like well i, I don't know like there's there's so many to do which ones do we do and we're like okay well here do these ones and then kind of realized we're like that's like an hour a day like some dudes might have 10 minutes mm-hmm. like let's give the guys like an option here's the 10 minute one like if you only have 10 minutes do this like yeah. if you have 30 do this but it, but start you know start with the 10 minute a day thing and the feedback they were like oh thank you <laughs> like i i thought i had to be doing like all this extra stuff or i didn't know where to start and so it, it is it is very true um mm-hmm. i mean it's the only I kind of, I learned that lesson, you know, without learning it. Like I I kind of learned it myself just by knowing like with my, with my yoga practice, it, it, it started off with 10 minutes. Now it's two hours. Like, and I, you know, I, sometimes I'll do 90 minutes, but it's two hours a day, but 10 minutes was that. And that was 12, 13 years ago, Mm -hmm. but it, it just kind of expanded. And I was like, well, if I do more, what happens in my life? Yeah. You start to see all the beautiful things that start to happen because yeah. you've dedicated time to this practice. But there's a tipping point. Like I, I've had mornings where I've been like, you know, three hours doing some kind of some kind of practice. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. like shit, the day's kind of getting away from me. Like maybe that's a mm-hmm. bit more than I need. <laughs> right. So, well, that's, that's actually brings, you know, this, the idea of the most important part of goal setting is the self-compassion part. Mm-hmm. So, your practice of yoga, you practice now for two hours a day, most days, right? Yeah. And you get to, there's a lot of things that have happened to you. Your experience of life um, has been positively impacted because of that practice. The challenge for a lot of guys is that, let's say that life gets hectic. Let's say that, uh, you know, work's bearing down on you, family's getting crazy, whatever. And it's challenging to get those two hours in now it's usually the, the, the way that we go is, okay, well, we'll just do it next week or we'll do it in two weeks when we have time. But if we have that tiny goal, if we start with that tiny habit, um, maybe it's 10 minutes of yoga every day, you always have 10 minutes of yoga because it's not how much you do. It's not doing two hours. You know, it's great if you can. It's how often you do it because if we think about what we're doing here, we're establishing the habit. We're also changing the narrative because the narrative used to be, I'm someone who sets a goal and fails. And every time, every time, no matter how small, even if it's just flossing one tooth, or if it's two minutes on the Stairmaster, or if it's 10 minutes of yoga, every single time you, you complete that task for yourself, you, you continue the chain, you're reinforcing that new story that you're, that you're narrating to yourself, which is no matter what, I'm someone who succeeds this goal, at, at this goal, no matter what, I can bring these new habits into my life. Yeah, it <laughs> it's um it's funny though, man. Because at the you know while while you say that, like having the minimum, I think I think it's mm-hmm. critical. The one thing that I've that I've found, and this this is less about working out and more about a yeah. you know more of a meditation mindfulness practice. It's like the more strung out or stressed or busy I am, 
one of my teachers is like, no, you like do more practice those days. Mm -hmm. Like those are the days where you do the full two hours. And I was like, what? I don't have time. (laughs) It's like, no, like flip it. So like the days where you feel great, maybe you cut, maybe you only do an hour. Yeah. The days where you feel where you're like, no, this week is heavy and you don't have time, do more. So it's like, <laughs> that's it. it's more of like, you know, obviously I have a good habit form. It's been many, many years. I think when guys are starting out, it's great advice. Just like stick to your minimum, your um, guaranteed minimum standard mm. and, uh, and then work up from there. Yeah. So um, I want to, I want to, I want to kind of land this plane a little bit here and I'm, I'm curious, like in your work now, I mean, we've, we've, we've been talking for like an hour and um, we've barely even touched on what you actually, you know, what you actually do, but prime, I mean, through all this, and I think people should pay attention, like your clients are getting results, mm-hmm. but they're not getting results from like going to the gym and punishing themselves every day, or like, you know, restricting their calories down to, you know, 1200 calories a day or going keto. It sounds like you're, you're starting from this kind of, okay, you have a deeper goal let's build the habits that can actually get you there to the place where that, that, that deeper mission or that deeper purpose or goal actually drives you. And you no longer need someone like me to push you to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's similar to most attempts previous to this have been like trying to build a house without a foundation. And this approach is more about building the foundation so that you can build a solid house that will stand the test of time, right. Or at least the, the rest of your life. Right. And also it's too, if you can figure this area of your life out, it's usually applicable to other areas of your life because you're learning more about yourself and what makes you tick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so historically I've, I've been doing the nutrition and fitness thing with uh, men and women for, you know, like I say, the last 10 years or so, um, the last five years have been getting out of my own issues and doing, doing what I can to help myself and then uh, using what I learned to, to help my clients as well. Um, this is an interesting conversation. This is an interesting time to have this conversation because I've only recently, uh, this week, actually, it's been a long time coming, but this week I've, I've kind of taken, I've made it a, a decision to, at least for the foreseeable future, remove myself from social media and, uh, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm at a time right now when I'm trying to figure out what my next step is, because mm. I love, I love what I do. I love coaching. Uh, I, I love all that. Um, I find that for my own uh, mental well-being, I, I think the, the digital space, I love this. Like I love conversations. I'll continue to do, yeah, yeah, to yeah. do my podcast and, and have conversations like this is because it's, you know, it's a, it's a real meaningful way of connecting with people, but I feel for for my, my own, um, direction, uh, the, the whole digital coach thing. I love the coaching aspect of it, the social media side of things. I just don't know if the, uh, if the, um, if it's worth the, the mental challenges that it poses, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, so, man. so, so yeah, I mean, my, my goal right now is to, uh, I, I want to be more in service, um, and especially to men, uh, not because, you know, just because that's, that's what I know best, you know, not because I'm, um, (laughs) because I've reached the mountaintop, but because I'm on the journey as well. I've figured out some things that work for me and, uh, and I enjoy connecting with other men to, to learn from them just as much as I can help them uh, along their own path as well. And I don't know what that looks like yet. So, uh, at this point, I'm just, you know, 
creating the space to, uh, to figure out what that's going to be. You know, I think there's a lot there, man, because, um, there, I mean, you probably know already, like I'm not, I run this podcast. I don't have, yeah. a, I don't have social media. I got rid of it. Um, at the advice of my clients, they're like, did you find any of us on social media? I'm like, no. They're like, mm-hmm. do we have social media? I'm like, no. <laughs> So I stepped away from it and Mm -hmm. it's, it's opened up a lot in in my life. Um, So I can vouch for the fact that, you know, your world will not come crumbling down and what you're bringing into the, into the world is a, is a really beautiful, mindful approach to, to health and fitness, which is a gateway to a whole bunch of other personal growth. Mm -hmm. And from what I see, and you know no blame shame or criticism but like there's a real lack of that in the world and there's a lot of like how to lose belly fat or you know trim 10 pounds and yeah and most most of us as dudes myself included like there's there's a lot of pain that that needs to be addressed before you can get to the place where like lose 10 pounds but i don't need to mm-hmm like yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's a huge, yeah. that's a huge long process. Totally. And like you and I have both, you know, kind of stepped through versions of it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a, there's a ton of, of space for that. And I think it's a, it's a good time for it. Like most, most men that I work with, they've kind of been through the, the myth of achievement and figured out that, being able to bench press whatever i don't even know I'm, I'm obviously not a not a bench presser but you know being able to lift huge amounts of weight and like it's an interesting exploration but it's not bringing them any more fulfillment than they had hoped for um so i'd love to see what whatever comes next and um that also saves me from having to produce an instagram photograph for you now we don't need to <laughs> now all i need to do is put it on on the web page yeah. so but just but f- because you, you know they my audience is listening like where do they go to find out more about you if, if it's not on social you, you have a web page that i can link to obviously yeah i do have a website um i don't i, I was thinking like i say um uh thinking about taking a step back from everything uh, wow. as, as drastic as that's uh, and I don't mean taking a step back from coaching. I mean, t- uh, taking a step back from just the digital <clears throat> platforms. So I'm thinking about nixing my website too. Um, there's, you know, I'm, I'm uh, the reason being is, you know, you kind of have to kill something for it to resurrect. Yeah. And uh, so they can go to powerplantbody.com, which is P O W E R P L A N T B O D Y.com. Um, but a, probably a safer way to get a hold of me is just your email, which is Taylor, T A Y L O R, at powerplantbody.com. I'll link it up in the show notes too. I mean, almost no one looks at the show notes, but I'll make sure that they can get you, Taylor, at powerplantbody.com. I'm, I love your experiment because I think it's actually going to work really beautifully. <laughs> like, work by work, meaning you're going to open up all this space to, to be, be able to serve your clients more deeply. And most people, when they want to find you, they find you. Yeah. I've had people find me in some weird ways, <laughs> like a random text message, like, hey, you worked with so-and-so. They said you hate email. And so I'm texting you. I'm like, beautiful. I'm so happy to hear from you. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe you and I can continue the revolution that I'm sure someone started of like, let's go back, like, just phone me. Like mm-hmm. literally call me, don't even text. Exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, yeah. Hey, Matt, this, this, 
this conversation has been really, really special for me. And, and uh, I appreciate you giving me space to share my story. And I, I really love what you brought. It is, you know, you're the thing you said at the beginning, like, hey, man, when you see me, I'm kind of like this, you know, like super jacked. <laughs> good looking dude and you know i've got a, i've got a i don't deeper, think i said that i've got a deeper well that's what i saw when you came on the zoom call so but you've got such a deep story and um like most people that i've had on this on this podcast like you're the wound is the gift right so i'm really happy that you were able to share both on the podcast and um i'm excited to see what whatever whatever emerges and if anyone on on this listening does want to get a hold of you they'll be able to find you um, so yeah, so thank you. Well, yeah, thank you. And I, I appreciate you for the work that you do, the conversations that you have. I've gotten so much from them over the past three seasons. So I look forward to all the many more that you have in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Taylor. That is a wrap for that beautiful episode with Taylor Patterson. And that is a wrap for the men at work podcast. It has been an absolute joy to bring these conversations to you, um, to have them, to plan them, to re-listen to them. And uh, I want to thank you, all of my loyal and even those that are just uh, dipping in for a listen, all of my listeners. I want to thank you for taking time to listen to the Men at Work podcast, um, sharing your feedback with me, your reflections, and um, yeah, it is bittersweet to be bidding farewell to the podcast and this portion of my life and my purpose has dissolved. So thank you all again, and I hope we'll stay connected in some way down the road.